Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Didn't take long after the season ended for the rumor season to begin. And that's the way we'll start this next week. Our next chunk of 50 of off-season episodes here on Fantasy NBA Today. A Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks, as always, everybody, for tuning in, spending some time with us here on this delightful Monday, June the 20th, two-thirds of the way through the month. We're on our way, man. NBA Draft is Thursday. We'll talk to William, William Harris on tomorrow's episode. We may have some more draft coverage this week, which, again, is largely going to be me saying, hey, uh, so what do you got? And that's okay. That's okay. I've gotten this far, and it, this, is a, this is a dumb argument to make for anything, but I've gotten this far without really paying hyper-close attention to rookies because there's kind of a formula for it. But it's also important to get a little bit of a head start on that stuff. So we'll do a little of that this week as well. Today we're going to break down a team. It's the Dallas Mavericks. I mentioned that on Friday's show. We'll hit Dallas today. They made a trade last week, so that certainly gussies up the interest there a little. And then we've got a few more teams next week after the draft is over. Free agency starts shortly after that. Summer League is the middle of July. That schedule actually came out today. Along with this... Shams report, who's on a podcast, I think, this morning, uh, mentioned a couple of them, actually, that the Wolves are looking to try to get some sort of uh, other veteran big man to pair with Cat, someone that can take a little bit of the center burden off of Towns. And the bigger rumor is that the Nets and Kyrie Irving are at a bit of an impasse right now. We don't really know what this is going to come to. Uh, certainly the easiest result is Kyrie staying put. And, you know, he soured a lot of teams by the way he's handled off-court stuff the last few seasons. And, you know, Kyrie's such a, a difficult and polarizing player to talk about on a podcast because it's not like you can explain yourself as you're going through it. But I'll just say this. A few years ago, we really tried hard to give Kyrie the benefit of the doubt when he was just sort of like randomly missing ball games, and then we found out that he was like at his sister's birthday party and then needed to re-quarantine or something, and he said it was about social reforms, but at the same time, it's like, no, nah, it seems like it was just about a birthday party, and then there's the whole vaccine stuff, and so the list goes on and on and on, and at the end of it all, it's kind of like, okay, like, we get it, you're just gonna be a little bit of a headache, to whatever team you're on. Something's always going to be a thing. You can pick a big thing. You can pick a little thing. There's going to be a thing. But that's not going to stop some teams that need to take a swing. So uh, Shams mentions the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Clippers, which is like, oh, hey, how do you create a grab bag of mostly, lately at least, underachieving huge market ball clubs? Howdy. Lakers, Knicks, and then big city the team itself not what you'd call like a typical big market but they do have a billionaire owner so the clippers fall into that heading as well uh lakers and clippers i believe would need a sign and trade to make that type of thing ha happen Knicks could probably move some bodies around and actually 
sign Kyrie in the offseason? I don't know. It's all rumor stuff, but it does kind of get the juices flowing as you look towards free agency and what sort of weirdness might actually shake out. We'll know most soon, won't we? Yeah, might as well. But let's dive into the Mavericks. First of all, by the way, I'm Dan Vespers, uh, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, we continue to be on a really uh, cool pace, actually, here on the podcast. We're... I don't, I don't know how this this is still happening, but I'm not going to argue with it. And, you know, we're, uh, we're on pace to have more downloads in June than we had in May, which is, again, strange because, you know, off-season and so forth and still way more than the off-season last year. So uh, much appreciated, those of you that subscribe and tune in, even when basketball's not at all at the forefront. The Mavericks were a team that you could easily write off as a one-man gang. But there is more to the story than that. They also had a huge mid-season trade where they unloaded Kristaps Porzingis, who was the other the, the part of a two-man gang on, on Dallas, and brought in Spencer Dinwiddie, was the main guy in that one. Davis Bertans also came over. The goal here for Dallas, seemingly in that trade, was not so much to uh, that they were like targeting Dinwiddie, who's been fine, but he's not a a massive difference maker the way that like Jalen Brunson was really really good for Dallas, and Dinwiddie had his moments. So I don't want to take anything away from him, but he wasn't the reason that they were as good as they were. That was a trade made because Porzingis has one giant long-term contract, and the combination of Dinwiddie and Bertans was two large but not gigantic long-term contracts. And so presumably for Dallas, maybe they'll be able to move off of one of those somewhere along the way. Dinwiddie's owed $20 million this coming season, 21 the year after that. Moving him this year is going to be really tough. Moving him the following year would be actually pretty easy. Davis Bertans, a harder contract to move. He's owed 16 17 and then he has a player option for $16 million. Again, all the way down the line in 2024. And he didn't look very good this year, which, again, makes that an even harder deal to move. Dwight Powell's on an expiring deal this coming season, as is Maxi Kleba. Uh, they moved where all the pieces in the Christian Wood trade. I guess we can talk about who's coming in before we talk about who's going out. But the point of that, of all of that, is that Dallas is pretty jammed in for this coming season, especially with Luca, Luca's extension kicking in, where his contract goes from ten mil up to thirty-seven. Uh, Boban, Trey Burke, Marquise Chris, Sterling Brown. I think that was the, the quartet. Am I remembering that right? I wrote, I wrote it down, and now I'm trying to make sure I found the right thing that I wrote down. Uh, so that doesn't really change the, the calculus all that much for Dallas. Marjanovic was making three and a half mil. Burke, who then presumably will opt in to his player option, was about three and a half mil. Uh, Chris was two. What was the last name I mentioned? Sterling Brown. I don't even know what the hell he's making. Three mil. So you roll all those together, you get up to about $11, $12 million, which is, you know, pretty similar to what Wood was making coming back. And then you cover it up with, with picks. 
what this does is effectively for Dallas, they moved a lot of pieces that didn't see time for a piece that probably will. It does complicate things on a team that was already kind of complicated from a fantasy standpoint. Luka Doncic is always going to be overdrafted because of his eye-popping counting stats. But he was number 28 in only 65 games this year. Couple games under the league average in, in number of games played, but I believe he hangs out pretty close to that late 20s marker anyway. Like we've talked about, average number of games played for fantasy-relevant players was about 67 this year. Luca just beneath that number, and he's always going to have a few games missed because there's so much of the burden on his shoulders. He's playing 35 and a half minutes of ballgame. Luca was, to his credit, better later in the year, but not by so much that you need to dramatically readjust what he is, which is a guy who scores, rebounds, assists, and hits threes at an extraordinary clip. Big time numbers in those four categories. He is okay at steals, not a total disaster. He's at 1.2 on the season, which is pretty good. He'll get a block every once in a blue moon, but it's not, you know, it's not like it's going to be a, a helpful number, but it wasn't terrible. And then percentages and turnovers, you're going to have to pray a little bit. He's at 74% at the free throw line this year on seven and a half attempts per game. He is one of the league leaders in turnovers at four and a half per ball game. And while his field goal percent actually did get better as the season went on, and, you know, there's the arguments for does he play himself into game shape? How does that all work? Overall, that isn't typically a large positive for him, and it's generally more leaning towards a small negative. Just based on historically, you know, last year he was at 47.9%, which puts him almost at kind of like a... a neutral this year is at 50 45.7 uh three-point percentage pretty consistent year over year two-point percentage went down a little bit he actually took more shots this season somehow at 21.6 so badly needs help of some kind on the offensive end but at the same time dallas found ways to win games even when he was out with just Slightly superior team-wide play. It's not the kind of thing that would last long-term. We know that. But in short bursts, it gave us a look at, hey, what could this team be if Luka had the help and help that he actually trusted? It sure felt like Jalen Brunson cleared that hurdle this year, but I don't know that anybody else really did. Certainly not Dinwiddie coming in. By the way, to Brunson's credit... He was number 99 on the season on a per-game basis, but he played in 79 games. He actually ended up being a really useful totals guy, so more kind of head-to-head leaning. And Dorian Finney-Smith is kind of the same story. He ended the year at number 96 per game. You guys might remember our our very silly early season Dorian Finney-Smith hashtag road to top 90 we talked about on the podcast, kind of laughing as he was sitting in that 140 range. But look, he basically got there. By the end of the season, DFS ended up as a nine-cat fantasy option. And late in the year, and some of this was injury-related, some of this was large trade-related, Dorian Finney-Smith, last 15 games, was inside the top 75. 
mostly because his field goal percent was just better over that stretch, and a lot of the other stuff stayed pretty much the same. Here's the rub, though, with Dallas. We know that their first priority, we've heard everybody say it a thousand times this offseason, is bringing back Jalen Brunson, but it's going to cost him. I don't think Mark Cuban really cares about that. He can look at the next offseason and say, okay, well, there's a big chunk of stuff coming off the books at the end of this coming year. We mentioned Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, some guys they traded, the guy they got back, Christian Wood. He's in the last year. So you're talking about 30, 40, 50 million dollars coming off the books at the end of this year, then Dinwiddie this season after that. None of these other guys are extended for a while beyond that. Dorian Finney-Smith has a very long one. Luka Doncic has a long one. And then Tim Hardaway Jr. <laughs> signed for a really long time also. And Bertans, unfortunately, that's the one that's going to really sting. So what does this make the Mavs then going into next year? To me, it might make them even more of a one-man gang with these guys that hover near the periphery. Yeah, Jalen Brunson was inside the top 100. But a lot of the damage he did was when guys were out. Good percentages for Brunson floated the numbers. But what that also means, if you're a percentages guy, you need some volume or your good categories don't impact things. You can look at the wild up and down this year of Jalen Brunson when... Like, anytime Luka missed a game, Brunson got to go buck wild. And in a glorious twist, Brunson barely missed any ball games. Luka missed 17. So right there, you got 17 really good games out of Jalen. If you pull those 17 games out, he's not inside the top 100 for the games Luka was on the floor. And it only got more complicated when Spencer Dinwiddie took the place of Kristaps Porzingis as, and effectively the guy that came back in that trade, another guard. It's a very guard-heavy team, and then kind of, I don't know if you call them wings, but like kind of small front-court players. Dorian Finney-Smith, undersized but tough. Dwight Powell, kind of undersized but tough. Kleba, more stretch in his offensive game. Yeah, I mean, he and Dwight Powell are tall enough, but they're not what you'd call traditional big men. And then the guy that they just brought in, Christian Wood, also not really what you'd call a traditional big man. He's probably longer than the guys that they already had in town. Like, we know enough about Christian Wood to know that he's uh, more of a rim... Well, I, you know, Dwight Powell's a rim runner, too. Wood, 6'10", 220-pounder, something like that. Uh, Dwight Powell, a little more... A little stronger, a little stockier when you talk about, like, okay, well, what position guys would actually fill on the floor. He's 6'10", about 240 What's Maxi Kleba? Is he taller than those other guys, or is he the same? He might be the same. Let's look it up live on air and get our answer. Yeah, 6'10", 240. Exact same measurements as Dwight Powell. And they brought in another 6'10 guy who's a couple pounds leaner. Yes, undoubtedly, Christian Wood is the superior offensive player among the three power forwards that I just mentioned on the Mavericks, who are all basically going to be playing center minutes. So how does this shake out? I don't think that, and I, I don't think you guys do either, I don't know if anybody thinks that Dallas is just going to hand the job to Christian Wood. From an effort standpoint, this is probably a good thing. 
for Wood because he was languishing on a team where there was no intent to win ball games. And I, you know, I don't know what he was expecting when he went to Houston, maybe, you know, more than a week of James Harden, I guess, but it's been a rough couple of years for Wood. He did manage to get through 68 ball games this season. So to that end, it was less awful. And he, uh, like many players got better as the season went on. I think that some of that's been kind of this weird fits and starts sort of, off-seasons and seasons and who's in town and who's not. And then, you know, Wood sitting out games at the end of the season, not surprisingly, they went into shutdown mode. It's hard to know really what you're going to get out of Wood, but what I think we can safely say is that while he was uh, playing 31 minutes in Houston, he's probably not getting 31 minutes a night in Dallas. Is that set in stone? No. Meaning there's a chance, call it a 20% chance, that he gets traditional starters minutes with the Dallas Mavericks. But it's going to have to come with a renewed effort on the defensive side and just generalized focus that we haven't really seen out of Christian Wood outside of like a month and a half late in the year in Detroit when it was time to go get a contract. And Dwayne Casey was like, all right, kid, go show me what you got. And he looked really good. But that was another team that was losing. He really hasn't been asked to be good on a winning team before. So I think there's going to be a bit of a culture shock there. He's a decent field goal percent guy. He's a horrible foul shooter who went who had a decent stretch right at the end of the regular season. But we know these guys. They have a month where they shoot 75% and then a month where they shoot 58%. It does level off. He can spread the floor. He can rebound. He can get steals and block shots. From a fantasy standpoint, there's a lot about Christian Wood that you can kind of like, minus the free throw stuff. But from a reality standpoint, he's going to a team that has lofty goals for this coming year. Mavericks came within one round of the finals. The Warriors, they got to the Warriors. They got to the Western Conference Finals. They beat the vaunted Suns to get there. I, you know, the Mavs are, in my estimation, still an impact player away from being good enough to clear a team like the Warriors. We saw how good Golden State was this year when they were fully healthy. But then I also thought the same thing about the Suns, and they kind of melted down in Game 7. Mavericks just took them apart with a really good three-point shooting ball game. They just shot the lights out, and the Suns withered. It curled up and died in Game 7. It was really weird and unexpected, but we saw it all. We saw it with our eyes. We know it happened. So I suppose you kind of have to pivot to the question of, who do you draft on Dallas this coming year? And the answer might, might be nobody. Not because you don't want Luka on your fantasy team. Any of us would be happy as a pig, and you know what, to have Luka Doncic on our fantasy team. He's super fun to watch. His counting stats are eye-popping and ridiculous, and you can counterbalance his turnovers by just going low turnover on some guys that are really good at blocking shots and rebounding and percentages and stuff like that. Those guys are very much out there. They are Dan Vespers old man squad type guys. So, you know, you can cover Luka's issues. The problem, like we've always talked about, is... The guys that are the best in the categories that you'd need to cover Luca's issues, meaning the percentages, tend to be the guys you'd have to draft 
where you're already drafting Luka. This is the Giannis conundrum, and he was much better because at least Giannis is a huge positive impact field goal percent guy. You only have to cover the one main issue with him. With Luka, you're kind of covering three. Mostly turnovers and free throw percent, but also slight negative and field goal. The guys that you need to do, well, I mean, we've talked about this before. The guys that are brilliant in both percentages do tend to be the guys you'd need to draft in the first and second round. There's a handful of guys that got drafted later than that that are positive impact in both. DeMar DeRozan was a positive impact both guy who was drafted outside the first and second round. How many even other ones are there? Most of them is like, oh, they're really good in one, and they're meh, kind of okay in the other one. Like, who's the who was a guy who's great in one, and then, you know, just fine in the other of the two? I'm not even sure those guys are all that prevalent. JV, really good in field goal percent, and just a, like a little bit positive in free throw percent. Like, that's useful. But again, those types of guys, they can't cover all that you'd need them to. It's a great pairing with Luka, but the guy that you'd want is someone like Kevin Durant. You'd have to take him in the first round. Very good in both percentages. Cat, good in both percentages. Those are the guys you'd want to pair with Luka. They also cover him in blocks, nicely enough. Cat in particular. Slightly more than KD in that one. So that's the conundrum on Luka Doncic. You know, even though he was a mid-third rounder this year, he's not going to get drafted in the mid-third round. He's going to get drafted in the first round again. Because in eight-category leagues, he's not a mid-third rounder. It's not close. He jumps up to a guy who, should, who ended up on the turn. He was 13th in eight-cat leagues. And in points leagues, or, you know, leagues that don't regard field goal and free throw percent, six category leagues effectively, he was number three. Number three in the NBA, if you wipe out his three not strong categories. And I'm leaving blocks in there because he was fine. He's only a tiny bit sub-average there. And actually, for a point guard, he was probably better than average. But if you wipe out field goal, free throw, and turnover, yeah, that's where he's getting drafted. Top three has been for years and hasn't come close to fulfilling that potential because it's very hard to when you have three categories weighing you down, even if you are hyper elite in three or four others. It's just too much to counterweight. So yeah, I'd love to have Luka Doncic on my fantasy team, but I'm not taking him until mid-end of second round, and he'll go earlier than that. So effectively, what does that mean? We can split hairs and earn my longtime nickname pedantic by saying, well, you know, adjusts his bifocals. It's not so much that we're not going to draft Luka, it's that we're not going to draft him until he's late enough. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's accurate, but effectively, it actually just means we're not drafting Luka. What does it mean? What does the sentence mean when you say, this guy will in no circumstances fall far enough for me to take him? It means you're not drafting him. You can try to be nice about it, but that's just the way it is. 
And then as far as the rest of these guys go, you're not drafting Jalen Brunson because we saw he was outside the top 100 when everybody on the team was healthy around him. And that's cool. I like the durability element of it. And I'm, by the way, I'm assuming that the Mavs bring him back. If he, get, if he ends up somewhere else where he's going to have a, a, a larger role than 13 shots a game, then hell yeah, you can go ahead and you can draft him. But if he's with the Mavs, and when everybody's healthy, he's getting a dozen shots, uh, that's not enough. And, you know, T, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., will he be back at the start of next year? That's just another mouth to feed. We know Dallas is, really doesn't guarantee anyone true starters minutes unless they're playing their tails off. Revolving door, so on and so forth. Dorian Finney-Smith, he needs guys to be out, and instead more people are coming in. It's a mess. If you're just looking at it strictly from who outperforms their ADP, Dorian Finney-Smith will probably outperform his ADP because he's probably not going to get drafted, which means his ADP is just going to be in that big chunk of guys listed at like 140 which kind of means nothing. It means like sometimes they get drafted at the end of drafts and sometimes they just don't get drafted at all. But he'll probably be better than that. He'll probably be like 115 to 125 range. But I don't really need that on my games cap roto. I want guys, I'm aiming for top 80, 85 or above. Jalen Brunson, he'll probably go a bit earlier, which rightfully so, he'll have a more guaranteed role. Dinwiddie's not going to do enough. Hardaway's not going to do enough. The only other guy you'd look at and say, okay, well, I at least want to know where he's going to get drafted is Christian Wood because there is that, you know, you'd have to, what probably a, we need like a poker terminology here, but I didn't play all that much. Uh, so we'll use a betting term. He kind of needs to backdoor it. Like there needs to be a lot of doubt that he can get to 27, 28 minutes of ball game. And there needs to be a lot of doubt that he can play at a high level and play team defense and stay focused and be a good teammate all season long. Uh, and that doubt needs to create enough sag, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, in his ADP to pull it down near the edge of the top 100. What are the odds that someone with the buzz of a Christian Wood for so long gets drafted late in the eighth round. What are the odds of that? I'll, I'll call it non-zero. It's not like when I say, what are the odds Luka Doncic gets drafted in the late second, early third? That's zero. He's going to go earlier than that. 100% chance he goes earlier than that. With Christian Wood, I say, well, what are the odds he gets drafted near 95 or later? I don't know, maybe 10, 15%. It could happen. In Mick world, it could happen. It's not a complete zero because I don't know how the community at large is going to feel about his role after being traded and sort of all the, the crummy stuff we saw and heard about Wood this last season with the Rockets. Not a good teammate, you know, got benched, left the arena, blah, blah, blah. How much is that going to impact his, his public perception? I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to say he'll fall far enough. But he does have upside, talked about it before, if he can get himself focused in. If he has a season where he just, like, hits 71% of his free throws instead of 67 or whatever. There's, there's upside there playing along Luka Doncic. You're going to have way better looks than what you got in Houston on a team where nobody gave a crap at all. So there is an opportunity there. He's probably going to start 
at center, I would think. But the second he goofs up, you got Dwight Powell, you got Maxi Kleba. Dorian Finney-Smith is going to get a lot of those power forward minutes, so it's not like the Mavs can just kind of go huge for long stretches because they love Finney-Smith more than any of these other guys we've talked about. He's a long-term plans kind of guy for them. Versatile, good defender, floor spacer, efficient. Does all the things. He does all the things that they want their centers to be doing, but can't quite. Like Maxi Kleba, yeah, sort of spaces the floor, but not efficient. Dwight Powell is efficient, but doesn't space the floor. DFS does both of those things. Christian Wood can space the floor, but can he defend anybody? Because Kleba and Powell can, and Finney Smith can. All three of the Mavs, like, what what are we going to call them? We're going to call them the centers? Kleba, Powell, Wood. All three of those guys have one, like, each guy has one glaring hole each in their game. Wood, much better offensively, but I don't know that they absolutely positively need that. We saw it with Christoph Porzingis, much better offensively. Couldn't stay on the floor. Couldn't assert himself. There's a pathway for Christian Wood to have top 75 value this year. There's a pathway but I don't call it highly likely, which is why I would only draft him after that mark. To be continued, maybe the Mavs do something else here in free agency. We, uh, we do need to know what's going on with Jalen Brunson, so we'll monitor the situation, but that's where Dallas is right near. Right now, uh, there's a very real chance we do not draft a single Dallas Maverick for this coming fantasy season. That's a different paper. You know, we have this paper where we're writing all the names we're kind of half-tracking. The Mavs is on the paper that's like, What's the team that you're really not paying close attention to because you think it's going to be a fantasy juicy fart? Dallas. And they might be good. That's the funny part. That might be a good team that just won't have fantasy value because Luka is going to probably not hit his ADP. It'll be fantasy value. He'll have value. It just won't be high enough for draft day. And then everybody else is going to be mostly interchangeable and the only thing you look at, you're like, well, what if Dorian Finney-Smith like magically gets offensive game this offseason? That's his path to upside. But again, what are the odds of that? Super low. We know enough about that. Uh, we'll talk draft stuff over the next couple of days, I believe, here on the podcast. And then back to teams. It's the offseason. We do what we want. I'm Dan Baspers. Hey, keep following our baseball and our football guys. I can see that. Good stuff's happening for each of them. So thank you to those of you that have checked them out. That's Joe, JP, uh, at Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. A lot of stuff coming from the football account, and that's actually coming down the pike here pretty soon. Guess that's it for Monday. Enjoy your day. Talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.